Does it feel like you're being asked a lot in today's world? Welcome back to The Naked Connection. This is the show that supports driven men to build deeper connections and have better communication and sex. What's up, you guys? It's Kirsten, and I am on a mission to create a world where everyone is having epic sex and experiencing deep connections. So you're being asked a lot in today's world. As men, you're being asked to be strong, but don't be too strong, to be vulnerable, but don't be so soft that it's unattractive. You're being asked to be respectful, but also don't be a pushover. You're being asked to be friendly, but don't be creepy. To approach women, but definitely don't approach women if they're at the gym, if they're working, if they're on the phone, if they're breathing. You know, we could go on and on. And as a woman, I look at this and I wonder to myself, how is a man supposed to show up in today's world so I can't even imagine what it's actually like to be you? And, you know, maybe as a result of all of this, you shut down. Maybe you've shied away from parts of life. Maybe you've gotten angry and frustrated. Maybe you're confused and really don't know what to do, so then you freeze. All of these are totally understandable and make so much sense. It can be really hard to navigate all of this, especially in the space of sex and love. So where does one go from here? The answer to this isn't some three-step process or some... Tony Robbins, do this and then do that and then you'll have your way. Like, this is an evolution of change and one that I felt was much better shown than outlined. I decided to invite a man onto the show who I think is going to blow your mind open. Today, we have a guest that really, I believe, understands and has moved through his own shadows and his own work. This is Stefanos Sifondos. Stefanos is what I believe is an example of a man who truly exudes this embodiment of who he truly is. And he is a man who he'll share in his story today, has really gone through quite a shift in his experience with sex, in his experience with love, and in his experience with who he is as a man. And I hope that he will be a guiding light for you and a source of inspiration when needed. I cannot wait to get into this episode when he said yes to coming on to the show. I, no joke, was in shock. So excited to share his wisdom with you. You guys, <laughs> let's get after it. Stefano Stefanos, welcome to The Naked Connection. I am so inspired to connect with you today and I know have an amazing conversation. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I would love to really explore the landscape of what it is like to be a man in the world today, the challenges that men are facing, be it in friendships, in relationship with self, in romantic relationships and intimacy. And when I've been looking at really the landscape of being a man, I think it's really interesting. And I'll share some stats primarily for the listeners. I'm sure you've heard some of these before, but one in seven men say that they don't have a friend. One in four men can't name a best friend. I think it's something like by 2030, for every two women that graduate from college, one man will graduate. In romantic relationships, one in six men in the past 12 months hasn't had a sexual experience. There's just so much unfolding. And from your experience and everything that you know and understand, I would love to ask 
from your perspective, how did we get here and what can we do to start course correcting in places where there may be some need for that or desire for that? Seems like men are fearing and repelling intimacy in, in more and more profound ways, just based on the statistics that you shared alone, in particular around those around, around more men staying at home for longer periods of time with their parents, in other words, being more or less independent rather and less, less autonomous, being less resourceful perhaps. More and more men are having less sex, more and more men engage in partnership intimacy, and more and more men are essentially lonely, more and more men are killing themselves, more and more men are suffering silently in different ways. And when you look at those, we can call them statistics, but or facts or maybe just circumstances, and when you ask, where did this come from, or what's some of the cause around this, I think there's a confusion in our society around the role of man, the, the essence and the expression of masculinity itself, which resides in, in all of us as human beings, irrespective of, of what gender we are. And so I think this confusion, I don't really want to call it an attack on masculinity. I mean, I'm sure in some pockets or schools of thought or pockets of the world, there, there is an attack on masculinity. There has been an attack on femininity for so long. And I think this is different. In, 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 it's not comparing the two in any capacity. But again, when you're asking what's happening with men, I also think men, on one hand, we have more outlets for understanding ourselves, for self-reflection, for self-awareness, for support. And at the same time, we have less and less outlets as well. There's so much unspoken trauma and abuse that we have faced uh, as men, less, less collectively, although there is that as well, right? There is, when you're talking about war and you're talking about the majority of, and this isn't to say that women aren't affected by war. Absolutely they are, because it's it's 90-something percent of men that are in war. So they're experiencing that direct trauma, but their families, their partners, their sisters, their mothers, their brothers back at home, their sons back at home, mm-hmm. their, their family, their friends back at home, if they have friends, they're experiencing that suffering as well in different ways. And so it's not like only men are suffering. But when we're talking about it, there's a song, uh, uh, his name now I'll, I'll try and remember it by the end of it it's it's a really beautiful song and, and it speaks to the the pain of man and the journey of man and it's it's the disorientation we we experience when going to war is an example not that every man goes to war every man is a soldier and then coming back and the the disillusion we experience through our addictions to try and numb the pain and that is really indicative of us not knowing as men how to deal with pain, how to deal with big feelings and big emotions, how to process, how to reach out for support, how to even just be supported. And so there's a compound effect of all of these things that have happened over generations. And it affects the way we communicate, it affects the way we connect, it affects the way we do intimacy, it affects the way we give and receive love, it it affects the way we lean into relationship when it gets difficult, or if we check out and peace out, it impacts and affects our level of honesty and transparency in relationship, our level of vulnerability and openness. And when we're so closed down, we can't expect others to be open. And unless they've transcended something that, and they, they have elevated, they have an elevated human consciousness where they can see really beyond that and they're not impacted and affected by that. You know, our trauma bond is going to bond with someone else's trauma bond and our trauma bonds are going to bond together. And that's what we're really finding. And so when, we, when we're looking at solutions, we're looking at compassion, we're looking at non-judgment, we're looking at empathy, we're looking at creating support structures, uh, we're looking at humanizing our experiences uh, as humans, as humans, full stop. And 
that's a struggle that we have. Like we demonize difference and we create separation and further separation through our differences. And we see difference as the enemy where we could start seeing difference as something that's complementary and something that can actually enhance us, whether that's difference in physiology and biology or whether that's difference in psychology or even worldviews, vantage points and perspectives. And so learning how to be better with each other is, is a great start and, and freedom, that sense of inner freedom, moving towards that by really cultivating a sense of safety within ourselves and within our relationships. And that requires us doing inner work. That requires us, again, being non-judgmental and compassionate. And these are simple things to say, but they're far more difficult things to actually do. Yeah, yeah. I totally understand in what you're saying. And then how do you put that into action, into being able, it, just taking the example of seeing differences as a beautiful part of life and something to be celebrated. How do we start doing that? Yeah, by, by not hating ourselves. And that, and that means that we have to tap back into our self-worth. That means that we have to do our shadow work. That means that we have to learn to forgive where we've held grudges to, to keep safe. That means we've got to start letting people in and start sharing things that we haven't shared before with people that we trust and respect. It means that we have to seek out support. It could be in the form of a men's group. It could be in the form of a counselor or a coach or a psychologist. It could be, you know, and this isn't my go-to, but it could be seeking psychiatric help. It could be seeking pharmacological intervention. It, it could be just getting out in the sun. It could be exercising a little more. <laughs> it could be joining a sports team. It could be very simple things. It could be working a little less and spending a little more time with those that you'd like to spend more time with. These are all starting points. It could be writing that book that you want to write. It could be starting a hobby, learning something new, challenging yourself, going to the gym. It doesn't have to be massively complex and it doesn't have to be this big mountain that you have to climb. That's where we go to as men often is, I've got to climb the biggest mountain and if, it, if I'm not climbing the biggest mountain, then it's not worth doing, so I'll just sit in my misery. No, just start with you know having a better nighttime routine and going to bed a little earlier and getting up a little earlier and maybe doing a little reading and educating yourself or making yourself more aware of things that you're not aware of. It's not that difficult to do, but it is. And so those are, those are really accessible starting points. Jump on the internet and read an article a day on something that interests you around relationships or human psychology or peak performance or whatever the fuck it is. It actually doesn't really matter. Just get into the habit of learning something new and doing something for yourself. And then eventually you'll start talking about the things that you've suppressed and repressed. You'll start maybe energetically moving, emotionally moving through that stuff. You'll start to understand what trauma is. You'll start to understand what attachment style is. You'll start to uh, see how the patterns in your life play out in unhealthy ways and you maybe want to make some changes there. Or maybe not, but start somewhere. But we're speaking to someone that isn't completely ignorant to themselves. We're speaking to someone that's on the cusp of wanting to experience change and know something needs to change because it doesn't feel quite in alignment within their own body, within their own life and relationships. And so we're we're making an assumption here, but there's a, le there's a level of awareness that that individual wants to actually change at some level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because I mean, I get caught in that trap even of seeing the big mountain and it's so hard to overcome, but the small little actions are actually what generates the largest change over time because it creates that snowball effect and things grow from there. So I appreciate you sharing that. You mentioned something about this suffering and silence piece. And when I was actually preparing to launch this podcast, I went out and I interviewed dozens and dozens of men and asked them a bunch of questions about intimacy and relationships. And one of the questions that I ended with was always asking, 
what is something that you wish men were more honest with one another about? And almost all of them said something along the lines of, you know, we're all suffering, we're all going through things, and none of us talk to each other about it. And so thinking of a small action for that, because what is the way to start having the conversations to open that door for men to be able to turn towards one another in that way? When you cultivate enough courage to share from your own experience, it generally encourages others to open up themselves as well. For example, if you and I are friends and we're meeting for the first time and we're connecting and I share something that's vulnerable with you, it doesn't have to be, it can be a low-hanging fruit. It doesn't have to be something that's really deeply intense or one of my greatest fears or, or traumas or embarrassments or anything like that. But it's something that is beyond, say, the conventional scope of getting to know someone it's deeper than the, the, the superficial and the surface level and there's nothing wrong with the surface level by the way but it's deeper than that often that will encourage you to especially if it's in context right and it's shared in a very you know gentle open way it will be encouragement for you to then share and then you'll share something and that will inspire me to share a little deeper and then we go back and forth and all of a sudden now we're in depth the conversation has reached depth. The communication, the connection has reached depth. With that depth and vulnerability comes deeper levels and layers of trust. Now we're bonding in deeper ways. We're trusting each other more. We're also maybe breaking old patterns where we couldn't really trust people this quickly or couldn't even trust people at all, and now we're trusting. Mm-hmm. And so we're telling our nervous system, we're telling ourselves that it can be safe to share. It can be safe to share and be seen to be understood and there, there isn't going to be ridicule there isn't going to be abandonment or rejection or humiliation or judgment or comparison that's a starting is is can you cultivate enough courage to share something about you that is difficult to share mm. okay and how does one generate that courage you're asking a lot of how questions i'm very fascinated <laughs> the simple answer is you just do it <laughs> We just yeah. do it. So we're always looking for this three-step process or six-step process or 12-step process or two-step process in the how. I want to follow the strategy. <laughs> just do the thing. Just say the thing. Let's just practice now. What's one thing that you don't want anyone to know? In this moment, I'm trying to think. Oh, how about, I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> so at the moment, I'm not really happy with my body fat percentage. So mm. I'm actually really happy with my body at the moment. Don't hate it. I don't dislike it. I love it. I really do. But I'm not completely happy. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not that I don't want anyone to know that, but it's something that I hold pretty, you know, pretty close to my chest, right? But I want to practice being open and vulnerable with you, right? Mm-hmm. So there was no step in how to do that. I just did it. I just said the thing that I didn't really want to say. This is interesting because as soon as you said that, things started coming to me. I'm like, oh, I, for me, I get really self-conscious about saying the word like. Mm. when I talk to people <laughs> and so I get right. I get really nervous about that and I don't want to address it because then I'll probably start saying it more anyway so it's interesting that as soon as you shared something which I appreciate you being honest I was able to access more and more things that I was actually not wanting to share we yeah. try we often overcomplicate things because <laughs> and, and what it what that for me, what that does, what that's done in my life, because I've always done this, I've always tried to overcomplicate things because if I overcomplicate it, it means I'm smart enough to deal with it. And if I'm smart and intelligent, then I'm all that, right? It's just all stemming from insecurity. I just said like that as well. It's all stemming from insecurity. <laughs> and 
for me, it's less about the complication and more about the simplicity of doing the thing that you know you need to do that will more than likely give you some reprieve and some relief mm-hmm. and help you feeling a little better and a little lighter about yourself. Yeah. Especially if it's met in a particular way. The example that we just did, that we just gave now and the interaction we just had was for the purpose of demonstration, if you like. Mm-hmm. However, if you and I were in, in deep, intimate conversation and we were just sharing openly, we would have gone deeper into that. I'm sure you would have asked me, can you tell me a little more about that? Like, where did that come from? And how long that's been going on for you? And, and I would ask you very similar questions around the, the affliction in your, in your vocabulary around saying as a filler word. And I would say, well, what do you make that mean? And we'd go, I'd want to go deeper because I'd want to know. I'm, I'm curious now. You've got me curious and you've got me more relaxed because you're sharing something that's uncomfortable for you. And so there's, there's almost this sense of, oh, you, de- you deserve to hear me now and I deserve to hear you. We've heard that because we've said something, we've done a really difficult thing and, or we've done a difficult thing, I shouldn't say a really difficult thing, we've done a slightly difficult thing that has brought us a little closer together and we're sharing in that vulnerability and we're sharing in that, that, that passage now. That it's, It was a rite of passage to some degree for, for our friendship and our communication. And now we've earned that and we can go a little deep. So it's really as simple as that. There's no, there's, I mean, we could put a process to it per se, but it's just say the thing. However, the caveat to that, and there is a caveat to this, is if you know the person is going to throw judgment at you and, and humiliation and ridicule and rejection, probably not a, it's probably not a great idea to share vulnerably with that individual. You're probably talking to the quote-unquote wrong person. Mm-hmm. What would be better is to speak to someone and connect with someone that you trust, respect, and revere, and that you know can hold a safe space. And that you can do for them as well. In other words, now you're checking into your values. Does this person value align with me? Or is this person really perpetuating an old pattern that doesn't serve me anymore? Old patterns of protection or old patterns of compensation, old patterns of aggression or whatever it may, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this makes you think a little bit about years ago, I, a therapist showed me this quote. And it was like, you're, something about how your real pain is a better bridge to people than your pretend wholeness ever could be. Yeah. How, yeah, and how if if we are never open ourselves to sharing the challenges and the pain that we have in our life, then it we can never really connect in the same way with people. And then we're more isolated as a result of that. One thing that I did want to ask in regards to what you shared just a moment ago about how to be present with someone when they are opening up to you I know I've done this in the past with men I've been with is they'll go to share something. And as a a woman, I don't, I haven't, I'll take full ownership. I haven't responded in the healthiest, probably most supportive, loving way. And, And sometimes that vulnerability from them scares me. And I'm not able to receive that in a way that's supportive to invite them to continue. and. I think this is something that perhaps happens with other people. And I know with myself, it's something I've worked on, but I don't want to ask you a how question. No, <laughs> but, please. It's, it's okay. I'll ask the question. We can always do <laughs> I think about the, the best way to receive that for someone and to be able to help um, a man continue to feel comfortable and safe in in expressing themselves. Mm, 
I think there's, there, there happens to be, for me, two parts of this, if it was a process or a how or a strategy, if you <laughs> like. Two components, and, and one is, maybe may in no particular order, but maybe in, in, in this order, is, is do your inner work as an individual where you can learn to receive someone else's curiosity of life, pain, trauma, difficulty, shared challenges without taking it on and making it personal. Mm-hmm. And th- that's a very layered statement that I just made there. There's a lot more to that. That's the foundation of it. And we can explore that a little deeper if you like. The second part is having agreements in that partnership. Oh, and that actually helps the first part. And those agreements could be how you share with each other, what you share with each other without placing massive limits on each other, of course. You don't want to do that. But having agreements in how you communicate, how you manage conflict, how you share with each other, how you come to each other with challenges and difficulty can be very, very useful for setting context into how you then support each other through challenges. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so for the first part, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So often I'll give you an example. Like I'll give you an example from my own life. So I, I grew up very, amidst many things, I grew up very fast, meaning became a caretaker for both my parents, particularly my mother. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and there was an enmeshment and an emotional entanglement there which means that my mother unconsciously projected her emotional needs on me as the eldest son because those needs weren't being met by her partner, my father. And so I grew up as, as, a, as a child, as an adolescent youth, as an adult, in that pattern. I didn't like that pattern. It didn't, it didn't resonate, but it was habitual and it was a pattern that resided in me. And it was unconscious to me. It was unknown. And so I'd always want to make sure that my partners are okay, but at the same time, hated doing that, but I didn't know why. So I would just get frustrated. And the way I would deal with the frustration or the, the uneasiness in my body was to get aggressive or to get controlling or to get demanding and, and so forth, verbally and emotionally, and shut people out and stone and do what I wanted in the relationship per se and be abrasive and be impatient. If my partner would come to me with something that either I did or just even an issue she had in her life, I would take it personally. I didn't want to, I didn't, I was so burnt and so jaded by my experience with my mother that I didn't want to take on anyone else's burdens. I didn't know how to. It was so unhealthy when I did it. I did it for so many years. I had this unhealthy relationship to it. So I didn't know how to navigate that in adult, intimate, romantic partnership. And so often I would not do it very well. I would be abrasive. I'd try to fix it when all that person wanted to do was be heard and be understood. So that's an example. And so me doing my inner work around that, acknowledging that, recognizing that, sourcing that, and then working through it through trauma release work, emotional release work, talk therapy, a number of different modalities. And over time and being patient with myself and inner child work and parts therapy and all the things, I was able to change my behavior around that, see it differently not view it as a threat or view it as something that's encumbersome upon me, that's going to hurt me, that's going to be heavy for me, that actually it has less to do with me and I'm here to serve my partner, support them and learn something about myself. And if it ever gets too much, I have a voice. So I learned that I didn't have a voice growing up as well. So many, many patterns adopted. Mm-hmm. And that's the inner work, recognizing those patterns and um, equilibrating, finding harmony in yourself with them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I've actually had a, an experience with a partner who had a, a challenged childhood as well, I would say, and would be like kind of checking my emotional temperature quite often. And at first I thought it was him being compassionate and caring towards me. And I started to recognize that it was coming from a different place of, I think this is actually more about him being okay than it is about me being okay. And I think when it comes to recognizing those patterns and changing that, it can be really scary to approach and even to start to question because sometimes it is it is easier to be blind to these things and to navigate forward without the awareness of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that oh, awareness is, is big. It's, it's a massive stepping stone towards greater relational empowerment and self-empowerment as well. Yeah. And... And kind of thinking about the relationship with self in regards to this, there's a lot of men I've spoken with or worked with speak about this feeling of feeling empty inside or feeling like, you know, there's just something missing. And so looking for ways to fill that. And sometimes it doesn't come in the healthiest ways of filling that. But I'm curious if that's something that you've explored or experienced before. Yeah, most definitely. Personally and with many clients that I've worked with, we often, when we're unaware of those patterns, as we were speaking to a moment ago, we'll compensate. And the simplicity of it is, is the greater the pain, the greater the pleasure that we need to mitigate that pain. And so what that looks like is, is if we're experiencing discomfort in our relationships or our lives, and we're unwilling to look at the source of that discomfort, all we want to do is just lay a pleasure on top of that discomfort pains like alcohol it looks like status seeking it looks like accomplishment excessive accomplishment it looks like sex it looks like it looks like drugs addictions and so forth it looks like control over others whatever it may be whatever your flavor is depends on your own personal disposition your history how you've interpreted life your so many influence that but essentially it's it's the pleasure of pain piece yeah and i guess in in that essence, thinking about some of those things of making money and getting women and having sex and doing these things, there's kind of like a conquering aspect. And part of that is like the desire of doing the doing things in the world. So how, what do you, what is a way to navigate between having that in a healthy way versus having that in a way that is filling a void? The come from. So the come from very much if your come from is to fill a void and your come from is stemming from avoidance, then it's an unhealthy, unsustainable come from. If you're having sex and eating food, not from a place of compensation or you're emotionally eating or you're seeking validation outside of yourself because you're insecure and you're in pursuit of that physical experience for the experience itself out of your explorative curiosity, that's a very different come from. Yeah, kind of like drinking alcohol to celebrate versus to like numb something. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Alcohol because you enjoy the taste of a wine or champagne or a beer or whatever it is that you drink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd love to talk to you about relationships and intimacy in this space of overcoming some of the struggles that men listening might be experiencing right now. And I know 
just from following you and understanding all of the work that you've done and knowing like where you are today and reflecting that you seem like a man that has done so much work and really knows who he is and has like beautiful relationships and a presence. If you're open to sharing like where you were before this or like the, if you've always been like this or kind of what transpired to get you to this place in terms of, of the relationship that you have with yourself and sexuality. Oh, definitely not. No, for most of my life, it was really a challenge. And I, I sought validation and I sought intimacy in, in I think, all the little quote-unquote wrong places, all the places I thought were, would give me that. And that was in the, the really in the arms of novelty and variety. As many sexual partners as possible. There was definitely a love compulsion, sex addiction, air, prostitution, all of that. If I was in relationship or out of relationship, it didn't really matter. And I was very much in hiding, very much in that dark realm of, of sexuality and sexual exploration and intimate exploration. And ultimately, when I look back at that, and even in times when I was in, in these spaces, all I really wanted was to be seen. I wanted to be, I wanted to be close with someone and thought I could achieve that through the intense spark of novelty and variety. Not to say that that didn't exist, that honeymoon period didn't exist, it was very much there, but I mistook it for something that it wasn't. It's beautiful, it's a beautiful physical explosive experience, peak experience if you like, but it wasn't what I was really searching for. Mm -hmm. And then just in thinking about what, what was there like a moment where you decided this isn't what I want to be experiencing anymore or what? Yes. Yeah. 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 The moment, the moment was the short story is I was in a relationship many years ago and, and she found out that I was unfaithful in that relationship and it really opened up Pandora's box. A lot of my own repressed trauma came to the surface, seeing her in her pain brought up a lot of shame in me and it was just, it was very intense. I made a decision to really look at my stuff and I had to hit rock bottom multiple times in order to do that, to say, I've got to change or I want to change. And that was many years of going down, going down that particular path, not only self-awareness, but, but you know, deep trauma exploration as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think like we, Sometimes it takes us a while to get to that point. And I always wonder, like, why do we have to get to these rock bottom moments? Is there a way to make those changes before they happen? And sometimes I think that we need the rock bottom as hard and painful as it is. And that that is a necessary piece of moving through something. I used to think, I wish that people didn't have to go through that. And now sometimes I wonder to myself, is that a necessary piece of the process? So my take on that, it's a great question, a great curiosity and exploration. My take on that is that the collective level of human consciousness, where we are today as, as human beings, for the vast majority of us, it is in the, in the stage of evolution of consciousness, of, of human awareness that we're in, it, it is a necessary part of our process to hit rock bottom because we're so driven by contrast. And so the more excessive the contrast is, the more it shocks us out of our patterns and the more it grants us the possibility of being different in life. 
in other words, evoking new patterns, new ways of being, new habits, new creation processes. And I think for the majority of us, that's what is needed. It's, I don't believe it's the only way, though, either. That, that shock and awe is the only way to elicit meaningful, <laughs> transitional, transformative change. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, this just made me think of something else a little bit adjacent, but in terms of in coming of age and having to go through processes where the what is the word? Like I think about hazing in colleges or like when you're younger, you have to go through these rites of passage as a boy or a girl into becoming who you are now. And it seems like that isn't as present in society as it once was. And I think that in many ways, those processes and like kind of going on, I guess, in some ways, like a hero's journey, if you will, that that creates so much different character and who we can become. That's that's a really important aspect to it. I think you nailed something there as well. Because any change and any transformation is a rite of passage. And when, again, contrast being really interesting here. The greater the contrast, the more observable and distinct is the new version of self that emerges if we allow it to and if we give ourselves the opportunity to go through that process. And that level of separation and distance it can help us appreciate and be great in greater gratitude for the person that we become and the effort required to get there. And often, just by that alone, we won't go back to the old version of self because we know it no longer serves us. We've learned so much along the way. And so maybe even at more advanced levels of consciousness, just to use a linear scale of human potential and growth, maybe that rock bottom moment will be with us or that contrast effect will be with us for some time. I don't know. All I know, or I say, all I know, all I think and perceive at the moment is that it's a necessary part of our growth. And I think you just exemplified one of the pluses as to why that could be as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I think in this terms of like the the difference and the contrast, even when I think about intimate relationships and attraction to people, often we're attracted to people that have kind of that contrast within them, whether it's. I think like for a woman, let's say it's like a really nurturing part of you and then a really strong, powerful part of you or for men, you know, being really driven and goal oriented and then turning around and also being really playful. And so these contrasts that we have in our life create not only change, but also desire. Mm. Yeah. Desire is an interesting, interesting thing, especially if we hit a point in our life where enough is enough. And we desire something different. We desire something new. And if that desire is strong enough, that pull towards a different version of self or a different life and a different reality is strong enough, it can pull us out of the current patterns that no longer align with who we are or who, rather who we want to become. And desire can play a very, very strong role, especially if it's harnessed in, in, in an aligned way in moving beyond on the places that we don't want to, no longer want to occupy. In other words, maybe we want to shift our aggressive pattern in relationship or we're tired of choosing partners that are dishonoring to us or dishonest to us or are abusive to us, as an example, right? Or we're stuck in a job that we really don't want where we'd rather be in our creative artistry, but we're too scared to move into that and take the leap or whatever that looks like. And so that desire, if that desire becomes strong enough and there's, with this inspiration that's attached to that, I mean, that's a powerful recipe for creation. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the the 
the pain in staying has to be greater than the pain of the unknown or the pain of what could become along the way. Change needs to be less than the pain of remaining the same. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, I even think like in my own personal life, thinking about desire and in the transition that I've had from, you know, like being young, younger and being attracted to unavailable people and slowly becoming more attracted and desiring someone that is available in a romantic space. I think about, and maybe you can share your perspective on this, but about the this idea that like women don't want nice guys. And I would love to hear what you think about why that is. Mm. Or just kind of like around that piece of it. Yeah. We'll speak to desire for a moment. Mm-hmm. I think this is a very interesting conversation. I'll come back to that for sure. Mm-hmm. So desire can be very scary for people mm-hmm. because desire activates a part of us that activates deservedness and joy and bliss and happiness. And for many of us growing up, that wasn't either wasn't accessible or wasn't allowed. And so we don't have a real reference point of what does it feel like to be in pure, unadulterated joy? What does it feel like to be deeply connected to our passion, to our desire, to be fully expressed without judgment, without criticism, without ridicule? And so desire can be something that's very difficult to access for so many of us because it brings up that joy, brings up that, that pleasure in the body. And if pleasure itself, intimacy has been on Pleasure has been on sake. We've experienced physical abuse, sexual abuse. We, we struggle to access desire in healthy ways. And so unraveling that can be a really challenging part of our journey. So I just wanted to touch on that yeah. as that's a very important point for us to understand. And I don't want to shame people for not being able to access joy and pleasure and desire because sometimes in my life and even now I struggle to do that because of some of the stuff that I'm still unlocking and working through, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's it can be really challenging. So let's not you know, not not that you're doing this in the capacity you're not, but just a reminder to all of us to not shame ourselves for being desire or finding it difficult to access desire. So in response to your your question around, you know, women don't want nice guys. I mean, obviously, you or I can't speak for every single woman out there. I particularly can, cannot. You'd be in a better position than me, I'd say. However. What I can say is there's, there's different types of nice guys. They're not, I, th- I believe, and I'm perception checking with you so you will let me know if I'm inaccurate, but the nice guy that you're referring to is really the people pleaser, is, is really the guy that's going to do anything for anyone, minimize themselves, maximize others. But really, they're actually coming from quite a selfish place because they want people to like them. They want people to be happy with them. And so they'll sacrifice their needs, but they're really quite false in action, they're doing it for someone else, but they're really doing it for themselves to be liked, to receive some level of feedback or validation. And the, the nice guy is not confident. The nice guy that you may be referring to doesn't follow the dreams, is not on purpose, is not clear on who they are, is not courageous in their demeanor, is not confident in their expression, is not in self-care, it doesn't, doesn't exercise, doesn't really do much for himself it's all about everyone else and that comes with resentment and that comes with an inability to be deeply open and de- deeply vulnerable as well and be deeply truthful about who they are in the world that can be appealing for a period of time especially if that individual that woman hasn't received that level of attention and love because she has her maybe her own father wound or mother wound even but after a while 
there's there's because there's no autonomy and sovereignty and there's no together growth in the relationship, it can become really quite boring. Mm-hmm. And we all need a balance of stability and variety, novelty in the relationship. And how we seek that and the comfort that I mentioned earlier really matters. So if we seek it in unhealthy ways, such as I'm in a long-term relationship, um, I want more novelty and variety, I'm just going to go have sex with other women now. And I don't tell my partner and that's not part of our agreement and that's just what I do. I do it behind closed doors. That's not really healthy and sustainable and it's not really honest and open, right? We really, we really want to be self-honoring and we want to be open and transparent in our relationships so that we give the other person an opportunity to really make decisions about, do I want to be in this relationship or do I not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing on all of that. And then also on the piece about the desire, because I do, I was, now I want to circle back to that and, and just sharing how how true that is that so often we don't know what we desire. We can't feel what we really want. And, you know, maybe part of that does kind of loop into the piece about the nice guy and having the confidence and and being able to ask for what you want in a way that is aligned with who you are. So I appreciate you touching on that because I think that's something that we don't really acknowledge very often within ourselves or with others. It's easy to go along with what's happening and not not call out or witness or understand what it is that we really desire. I know you're a father and I would love to hear your approach to being a dad as you've grown and had all of these life experiences and if how that's impacted you as a man today. Cool. Yeah, it's a great question. Very loaded question. <laughs> sorry. It's, no, I don't be sorry. It's great. Um, it's, I just don't know where to start. I mean, it's impacted every every facet of my life. Being a being a father, it, it's it's brought up to the surface and to my attention. Many patterns have worked through up to a certain point, mm-hmm. and it's brought them up to work through them again, and or work through them in a different way. And it's made very interesting my relationship to some of my old patterns around patience, aggression and control and routine and habit and you know, some of my OCD tendencies, things needing to be in a very particular way and my neurodivergence and you know my, my self-worth, if you like, as well, and my, my confidence in what I have what it takes to be a healthy father and are my mannerisms and the way that I communicate verbally and non-verbally are they healthy enough for my child even though I cognitively intellectually know that you know I don't want to say no matter what I do I'm I'm mess my child up it's not about that (laughs) could be this quite perfect parent and there still may be something that is misinterpreted that then gets compounded in my child's mind and she makes that mean something and it's it's kind of just be the best version of myself but it really has called me forward to be more deliberate and more attentive to the way I behave and act and the things that I do and the things I say in front of her and even when I'm not in front of her as well, really, that, that integrity piece. You know, um, it's, it's, it's challenged me. It's been the best thing that's ever happened for me. It's expanded me. I'm so deep in love with her. I, I, I never 
knew I could access a love like that and a care like that ever. And, you know, I'm, I'm deeply committed to my partner relationship. And even though there's challenges now, after having a baby particularly, you know, first getting together, not just when we first got together, but through the early stages of the relationship, it was just such a foundation of such deep love and care laid in our relationship. And, and this is just different, but there's nothing compares to love I have for my daughter. Mm. It's really quite an interesting feeling, and I'm not sure every parent would attest to that. And again, it doesn't make me love or care for my partner any less. If anything, that's amplified in various ways, even amidst the, the, some of the deep challenges that we faced. However, this this it's opened up my heart in ways that I just I never thought were possible. So it's really helping me heal you know, some of the, the fears around intimacy that I have as well. You know, we teach what we need to learn the most, right? And and it's not that I'm not adept and competent and proficient in, in the things that I teach. It's that I'm still learning as well. Well, I think we're all still learning. You know, I don't claim to be perfect at any of these things. I know I get better and better a little more every day or every moment. The more I teach and the more I open to myself, I'm not you know, perfect in these areas helps me grow as a person and she has just her little being the way she is who she's such her own personality and as i've been researching more and more into parenthood and from my own experience as well we're just understanding developmental psychology in deeper ways there's there's less influence we have less influence on our children than we think they really do come into this world with their own set of predispositions and their own way of relating to them. And I think that's part biological slash genetic, part environmental, but through their own interpretation of the world. And we're here to be stewards and facilitate them, hold them, and guide them. Of course, influence them in the way that we can and not be attached to that. So I'm learning more about non-attachment. Can I love her so deeply, but also being unattached to an outcome of how she grows up, you know, what it all looks like and, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I'm the type of person that thinks, you know, I say often die before you die. You know, the better book of the dead is something that resonates very deeply true for me around, you know, preparing for death and not just physical death, but the death of old selves, the death of ego, the death of whatever it may be and being deeply ceremonial. And, you know, when it comes to my daughter, just thinking about, you know, her death, say before mine, it's very, it's a very difficult thing to prepare for. It's a very, not that, not that that's going to happen. Of course, I think it will happen. As a, as a parent, you just, you start thinking about, I, I start thinking about all these different things, you know, and so it's really challenging the way I see the world and the way I, I want to choose to think and be. Mm. And what I make all that mean as well. So I wanted a bit of a tangent mm. help. No, that was very beautiful. I appreciate you sharing all of that. I I find that in relationships, we grow and have the opportunity for expansion within who we are. So being a parent, I imagine in that relationship with a child is probably just t- that times a million. So it sounds like a really beautiful way to expand on experiencing life in general as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I see it as something that's enhanced my life. It's been difficult thinking about certain things and challenging, 
However, I, I don't want to shy away from them. I want to really be in them. And that's been, that's been helpful. That's helped me access a part of me that I never had or I never could have accessed before because of the, the weight of the relationship I have with my daughter and the importance of place. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I appreciate you being here and sharing all of your wisdom with us. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you feel is really important to address or share or perhaps where people can find you and continue to connect with you along the way? Yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Stephanosafandos.com is my, my website. At Stephanosafandos for most of my social media handles. I think Twitter is Stephanosafandos because so many pecs and so many characters. And if you are a woman and you wish to listen in monthly breathwork, somatic work, an immersive experience that we have every month for women, com slash feminine. And to pay what you can, model virtual components live in Austin, Texas, and it's live streamed and recorded. And it really is a beautiful process. Every theme, every month is a different theme. And this, this month's theme is being seen, being heard, being understood, and how that leads to deeper vulnerability. Beautiful. We'll put all of that in the show notes. And I appreciate you again. Thank you so much for joining us and being here today. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Naked Connection. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Trust me on this, your sex life and that special someone in your life will thank you for it. And if you really love the show, please take a moment and leave a five-star review or a written review and let me know what you think. It would mean so much to me and the show. Until next time, happy connecting.